We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. No mic today. And at the end of yesterday's pod, which was a discussion on the halfway point of the season, one of the big themes was, what do we know about this team and what don't we know? And there are some things that we do know, but we know an unusually small amount for this point of the season. But there have been two players that have played in every single game this year. One is Carmelo Anthony, and the other is Russell Westbrook. And I would argue of all of the players that we need to get to know this season, Russell Westbrook is far and away the number one. Now, we also need to know how he fits into the broader picture, and the surrounding context has made that extremely difficult to see how he fits in, what he looks like as a third option. But Russell Westbrook has played in every game, D, and... Even with a player like him with such a clearly defined strengths and weaknesses, watching him on a day-to-day basis, I feel like I know his game a good deal better than I did at the beginning of the season. So let's start there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is the difference now, 41 games into the season, on how you view Russell Westbrook within the lens of this team versus where you were going into the season. I'm not sure that my view of him as a player has changed very much. I thought coming in and still do believe that he just has the ability to be such a dynamic player. I also thought and understood him to have these deep valleys in terms of what his quality of play looks like on any given possession. I think what I underestimated just from a fan perspective and from an analysis perspective is the irritation from a fan perspective of what those valleys would look and feel like. And then from a nuanced perspective, Mm -hmm. what some of his strengths equate to within a possession that don't actually lead to the poppy numbers that you would, that you see at the end of the day in a weird way, it's confirmation that Russell Westbrook is sort of a misunderstood player and a player who is maybe liked Mm -hmm. liked and loathed for the wrong reasons and for the right reasons at times, right? And so he is both 
he is both crystal clear as a player to me and confounding at the same time because the mistakes that I see him make are mistakes of repetition. They're the types of mistakes that you would think wouldn't happen to a veteran who has played this long. On the flip side, though, is he is such a... I don't want to call him one track. Like I used the word rigid in the last pod. And so he only has so many avenues to take in any given possession or in a game. That's right. That's what I was going to, that's where I was going to go. All right. So, so cut me off then and talk to me more about that idea because I want to hear you articulate it instead. So I think understanding this helps us understand the player that he is and then where we can be going. His game is built around the attributes of speed and strength. And he doesn't have a particularly diverse bag, as we would call it, for a guard, right? He's a he's an unusual player in that nobody else plays the way that he does. And if I were to make a and, and please, I, this I'm always out of my realm when I do this, but I'd very much view basketball players as martial artists. He has sort of a drunken boxer type of style to him, where there's like an unconventionality to him that when I was sending you guys the Grizzlies clips from the other night, the other day, you were like, hey, that's some of the value of the role, man, is Russ had driven to the basket and with a ball screen with LeBron. And they were so they were in the paint. The Grizzlies were like, we're not going to let you get to the basket. And that's how teams are going to guard us a lot. But Russ missed the layup, but took enough people with them to where it was an easy putback for LeBron. And so that has a great deal of practical value. In the box score, it looks like an 0 for 1. And when you combine that over the course of an entire game, then that might be a 4 for 14 night. And he can have 4 for 14 games that are very productive and also some that are like, oh gosh, that's that's not going to work at all. But I want to talk about his speed attacks in particular. And brainstorm this with me, D. Like, what are some of the moves that Russell Westbrook scores off of? Without judgment of it's good or bad, a smart player or not. So, like, he's going to pull up, and if he's on the left side of the court and he's got a big on him, very high likelihood that's going to be a bank shot jumper off of the backboard. He hit that at a really high clip to start the season. He's been colder with his jumper over the last five to ten games or so. But... My point is that that's one of his moves and he's got like he tries to score or create shots more accurately. He's got like five or six things that he I was going to say one's that elbow pull up it's from probably about right? six, six or seven, maybe like eight if you're being generous. But yep. It, but it's just like, OK, that left wing pull up bank, the right elbow pull up jumper, the power back down the, veer, from the full court where he drives up the left left side mm-hmm. crossover left to right tries to finish in the basket he has a nice back down from the right wing where it's just like early offense mm-hmm. possession flows into an early post up for him he does that a lot on the right side of the mm-hmm. floor he isos crossover left to right and right to left from the left side of the floor Right when he's driving and he has mm-hmm. a big man isoed on him. So that's what are we at? Like five? That's about five moves. Sure. He'll he'll drive up that left side and then veer middle in transition. A lot of his best moves are like splitting gaps and like his game is so predicated on capitalizing on defensive mistake, right? Like in terms of his speed attacks, if you're not in the right position, he's going to turn on the afterburners and he's big enough and strong enough from the guard spot to be able to put you in the sidecar, right? As Mm -hmm. you say, now he might not finish to the degree that we would like him to, but these are still mid fifties to low sixties layup attempts that, and again, I think that's part of it too, where it's like, if you're taking 
seven layups a game, but making them at 56%. The 44% that he misses are extremely frustrating because they're layups, right? But they're also, you're getting a higher volume of those attempts because he, uh, he is using those speed attacks. But part of the downside of speed attacks is that you're going faster. It's harder to make the layup, but I'm still going to take a 55% uh, or 60% shot possession. That's, you know, 1.1, 1.2 points per possession. It's still a good attack. The thing is, though, is that when with speed attacks, and we saw this with Dennis Schroeder a little bit, although Schroeder was not the passer, obviously, that that Russ is, is once a player decides that they're going to go, that Mm -hmm. they're going, if they were not correct in that decision, if that gap that they thought they could get through, if they cannot, that becomes the likelihood of a turnover and, and an ugly turnover, a live ball turnover becomes higher and higher. Russ is really good at driving into a group of defenders and then passing the ball behind him. He uses jump passes more often than just about anyone to great effect. But again, when the decision is like, oh, I thought I could get through here or I thought there was a gap here and and I could use speed to exploit a, a very small opening. If that's incorrect, it's going to be a turnover. And so I titled this pod Russ at the Crossroads in part because the last few games you see him trying to turn that back, that dial back, because it becomes a question of how many of those speed attacks in particular do we need? Those ones where it's like, I think I see an opening and two thirds of the time he's correct. Yeah. Right. If he turns that down too much, and I think he has the last few games, then there that's a passive player that has to rely on his skill more. And that's not something that we want out of Russ. But if he turns it up too high, it's those nine turnover nights. And so, but I think fundamentally understanding like what do we need Russell Westbrook to do on this team is going forward I think the the question for the rest of the season do you see where I'm going with the speed attack thing right I do. like where I do if, so, if you are if your game is so predicated on playing fast and on attacking fast it's going to come with that so you're either going to get the version that's scoring six to eight points with zero to two or three turnovers or the version that's scoring 20 to 25 but with more turnovers especially with with Anthony Davis out so like calibrating that I think is 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 really important so Pete the entire time that you were talking like I used to watch a bunch of cartoons when I was a kid like you know the G.I. Joe cartoons and the Thundercats and the Silverhawks and mm-hmm. Transformers and all this stuff. There were always these chase scenes in those cartoons and like the plane that had to fly and then it had to turn just at the right angle to get through the closing doors uh-huh. right before right, it, right. right in order to escape because it just completed its mission or to get into the thing to actually do the mission. And a lot of times that's how I picture Russell Westbrook attacking right? Yep. That there are these small windows, there are these little doors, and he sees the daylight, and he's going to crash into those and try to squeeze his way through in order to make a play. And in the cartoons, it almost always worked out. The play never crashed. The main characters never just died. Just in time. Right? Just in like, time. They yep. just made it through. And that's not real life. That's a cartoon, right? And so Russ doesn't always make it through. He doesn't always survive the possession. And that risk-reward decision that he's making on any given possession is vital to the team. I don't think it's a coincidence, Pete, that Russ started to dial down his risk in any given possession Mm -hmm. when his head coach and LeBron James were basically in 
post-game pressers almost every game talking about turnovers and ball we security. We got to get shots up. We got to right. get shots up on the board. That's been a big thing. Right. If you don't listen to those post games all that often, that's been a big emphasis is like, we got to like just get more field goal attempts yeah. than we've been getting. And not one time has LeBron said, Russ needs. Mm-hmm. Or not one time has Frank Vogel said, Russ needs. Mm-hmm. But it's also not difficult to read between the lines. It's not because all of those things are always couched within the context of team. That's why, honestly, those guys are good leaders. Because they are never going to throw an individual under the bus, especially not an individual, the stature and importance of Russell Westbrook to the team's success, right? And there is a managing of things that matters. And that's one of the like subplots of the season is how that management and service of people is going to promote the best version of the team eventually if everything can come together, right? But that's a part of coaching and general managing that no one ever really talks about, no. right? Like we're it's a people always, business, like you always say. Every yes. business is a people business. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to further this idea because something happened in the most recent uh, post-game interview that caught my attention that's along these lines. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the other night, Dave McMenamin asked Russ a question that uh, the... The point of it was, what do you think of John Morant? John Morant's kicking ass, and what are your thoughts on him? But the way that he prefaced it was, as a point guard, dot, 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 and Russ, who is, especially after losses, always very emotional, and I think views much of the press as enemy combatants, sometimes accurately, sometimes not, right? But he certainly has a hostile approach uh, after games in particular. And but but Dave was not like going after him on turnover. It was none of that. But he was he says as a point guard and he was going to ask what he thinks of Ja. And that's what he eventually did. But after Dave says as a point guard, Russ goes, that's funny. I don't know how many people caught that. Right. But that was the first. So I like Russell Westbrook. I like his game and I see a lot of the value in his game. Of course, I see the turnovers and the missed shots. I've watched a lot of tape on Russell Westbrook, and obviously, even through this year, like I will continue giving my my reasons for what I think of him in this pod and, and beyond. But there's a point in every player's career, every great player's career, where as they get older, that there's an adjustment that they have to come to of my team doesn't need me to do the things that I used to do uh, on this particular team, or if you've changed teams as Russ has. Those high risk, high reward speed attacks in particular are something that 
he's going to have to figure out like where the dial is and it's not where it used to be on other teams. We have LeBron James. We don't need like other teams. It's like, who's the point guard going to be? Who's the primary ball handler going to be on even on a team with Kevin Durant? Right now, obviously, there were possessions way back in the day where it was like, why is Russ taking this shot when you got Kevin Durant on the elbow or something like that? That's a, you know, no need to relitigate that on another team a long time ago. But on most of his teams, they've needed a primary ball handler, which Kevin Durant is not. And and so that comes with you needing Russell Westbrook to be the primary ball handler. He, we don't need him to be that here. And so him dialing back, So then it becomes this kind of existential question for Russ of, well, who am I? Am I now a dunker spot guy that sets pin screens for people? Am I now a cutter? And I don't, I don't think it would be wise for us to lose that speed attack Russell Westbrook. What makes him great? So what I see, Darius, is that idea of the crossroads. First of all, I don't think there's anybody better to be a teammate than Carmelo Anthony for the experience that Russell Westbrook is is going to go through. Because I think my expect, let me put a bow on this. My expectations of Russell Westbrook are to be a good third option. I think that if we ask him to be a first or second option, which is what the circumstances of the season have dictated, he is going to fail or at least not going to get us anywhere near to the, the title. That would be true on pretty much any team. And he's also getting older. And as a player that's been, his game is so predicated on his athleticism, there's always a diminishment. And so the version of Russell Westbrook that I see as being the one that we can win significant things with is one, is a man who wears, is a man who wears many hats. He is that guy who's able to attack off of speed attacks. There are going to be teams where the floor is a little more spread and that window isn't as narrow as it was. And it's not as high risk as it was. Yeah. You want, when we played Boston, they, we're like, we're not going to let Anthony Davis beat us on lobs. And Robert Williams stayed home with him and Russ gets all the way to the basket. There are going to be times where that is appropriate, but it's not going to be every game. And there are going to be sometimes D where he's got to be in the dunker spot, setting screens, and he's got to defend a wing. He's become more of a wing defender for us as the season's gone on. And so that he's the triple double king, right? That means you have some degree of versatility. Yeah. You can impact the game in a number of different ways. He's going to have to be, uh, for someone we've described as so as so rigid, he's going to have to be a bit of a shapeshifter, but within his own game. I, I don't think that he needs to be asked to do anything, asked to do anything that is outside of his capabilities. But I do think that there has to be a mentality shift that if he goes, man, I'm freaking Russell Westbrook. What do you mean I'm going to be not a point guard anymore? And so that comment like perked my ears like, oh, if he's not down with it, it's not going to work. Right. But that's what I think needs to happen. Well, I just think, too, that so in terms of that comment, so I didn't see that, honestly. So I'll send it to you. It doesn't take much for Russ to play contrarian in any given situation if he's not in an agreeable mood. And the best time to find Russell Westbrook in a non-agreeable mood yep. is after a, the Lakers have lost a basketball game. That's right? right. And so someone could have said to him, you know, as a fashion icon, and then he'd be like, huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fashion icon, huh? So th- right. that's true. But I do think that like moods like that and just in people in general can kind of reveal underlying feelings and tr- like things slip out that maybe in sure. normal circumstances you kind of keep to yourself. Sure, sure, sure. What I will say, though, is... The shapeshifter idea is, I think, apt because when you're on a team with this many stars and this many role players, your stars 
have to do and have to be a lot of different things within the context of them being stars. That's right. And it's all relative to the opponent, right? Like the way that you're going to play Golden State, that's a different basketball game than how you play Memphis. So we've talked about this a ton within the context of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, especially in the run to the championship. Because, And I'll take AD as an example because I thought what he had to do in the path to the championship, it varied so much even more than what LeBron was asked to do, right? Like in the first round, he's playing up on screens against Damian Lillard and playing against sort of behemoth centers like Whiteside and Nurkic. And he's on the perimeter cooking them off of the dribble, right? Yes. That's that's how he attacked a lot that series. And then in Houston, he's defending Russell Westbrook. And then he is going up against a smaller player in P.J. Tucker and Daniel House and these guys are switching against him and now Robert Covington and he's going to the offensive glass. Yeah. He's dominating inside more rather than cooking guys on the perimeter. Exactly. And then he's playing against Denver. And sometimes he is up against like a Paul Millsap or a Michael Porter Jr. It's just like, okay, that's, that's sort of like the Houston series. And then sometimes it's no, you've got to defend the MVP of the league basically the following year. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. You're up against Jokic. And Very so different challenge. Yep. So you've got a bang inside. And then against the Heat, it's just like, okay, well, here's a guy who fashions himself to be similar to you. Here's Bam Adebayo, right? He even went to the same school as you. He is a defensive guy. He is a short role player. Miami runs all of these different schemes and handoffs. And it's like the asks changed. Every sure. single series and every single series, this is like, oh, you need me to be this? I'll be this. You need he, me to be that? Because Bam got hurt in the middle of game one, right? And yes. but we were kicking their butts as that happened. But he was on Jimmy Butler for a good portion yes. of that series because a lot of our perimeter guys, he was Jimmy was too strong for them. Yes. And, and so, so now here's mm-hmm. a power wing, yep. right? That you have to defend, which is different than the Russell Westbrook player. Mm-hmm. And so yep. on and on and on. And that's the idea of being a shapeshifter to me. It's just like anything you need me to be, I will be it. Russell Westbrook, Pete, 50% of the time, 60% of the time, he is going to need to be a point guard. Mm-hmm. He is handling the ball. Yep. He's, he's playing lineups. Like Frank Vogel, I think, called LeBron James like a point center in some of the, these lineups. And he is. LeBron is handling the ball. But he is not handling the ball nearly as much as he did in the championship season. In that season, he made All-NBA as a guard. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That season. He was eligible on all of the ballots for the voting ballots for awards as a guard. And it's because the Lakers started Avery Bradley and Danny Green. None of those guys are a point guard, right? And so calling any of those guys that would have been a mistake. And so Russ... This season, LeBron is playing center. Is he playing some point guard? Sure, he's playing some point guard. But when he's on the floor with Russell Westbrook, they're splitting the possessions maybe 60-40 in Russ's favor. Russ is still bringing up the ball. He's still calling out the sets. He is still filling middle lane in terms of like as like the transition guy and leading the break. And Braun is turned much more into a finisher. So when you talk about shape-shifting and you talk about wearing multiple hats – The flexibility from Russ isn't that he needs to be all of these different things all of the time. It's that he needs 
there is in possession or in game decision making where he's going to need to say to himself, this is the right solution for this possession. And now on this next possession, this is the right solution. And for a player that has been asked to basically play one way almost his entire career, even within the even when he was with Houston, it was just like, hey, this other dude. This other dude, he's he's really our point guard. Mm -hmm. Right. James Harden, he's going to have the ball most of the time. And you have to work around that. And I thought Russ adapted well enough. But now it's just like, hey, when you play with Anthony Davis and LeBron is off the floor, we need you to be that dude over there. Hey, when you're on the floor with LeBron James and Anthony Davis is off the floor, we need you to be this dude. This and when you right share the, the floor center. with mm-hmm. all of those dudes, we need you to be this dude. And and on any given possession, the positioning of any of those guys could put Russ in 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 a position where, oh no, wait, actually, now I'm that dude again. Even though this thing is happening, and it's sort of like that's not something that I think is very familiar. It's not. That's the crossroads. That's the point of the crossroads is like he can still go down the same path that of being the player that he's always been. And that's something that he takes pride in. Right. Is that I am who I am and I'm going to do things my way. I think that his way, quote unquote, is deeply misunderstood. And a lot of there's a lot of projection onto him on like what kind of guy he is and what is important to him. Let's take a quick break, though, because I think that your point on who he needs to be and when and with specific lineups is right on the money. And I want to dig deeper into that. So I think that's what it comes down to. The point guard, Russ, the player that he's always been, that's the player that we need when Anthony Davis is on the floor and LeBron James is not. Specifically in half court possessions, I feel like as a scorer, Russ has really missed AD as a lob threat or just having a lob threat. That's something if you look at Washington's season last year, they really started to take off when Daniel Gafford got more minutes as opposed to Robin Lopez. I think they had Alex Lynn in that rotation as well, who are solid NBA players. It's just not a guy you just throw the ball over the rim to and say, go get it. Or even Tom Thomas Bryant, who mm-hmm. was like, like half roll games. man, half, half pick and pop guy as well, right? And so mm-hmm. – there was some of that hurt. going on too. Yes, right. yes. He, he got hurt like 10 games into that season. And so they defaulted to, I think, Len and, and Lopez, but they really took off when it was like, oh, just throw it up for Gafford. And Gafford is getting downhill with bad intentions. Anthony Davis is one of the great role threats of all time. He doesn't always get downhill with bad intentions. He doesn't always set that that great screen, but he's certainly capable of it. And and when he's really on, he's really, um, really dominant in that respect. And so that's the version of Russ where it's like, you know, I'll live with a few turnovers in those lineups where he's driving and thought he saw a seam and didn't quite get it. Um, but in the groups with LeBron, which is going to be most of the time that Russell Westbrook spends on the floor, there there has to be a more judicious approach. And, I, and to his credit, I think he's trying to play that. I think he's tried that the last few games. Where where does the dial go from here? If he is uh, first off, do you agree with the idea that he is trying to dial it back? I point yes. to the yes. two games yes. as yeah, yes. the two zero yes. turnover games is is evidence of that. And even his comment of like, yeah, I guess I'm a point guard, right? Like in that post game is indicative of him figuring it out. So where does that dial go from here? I would argue that the aggression needs to be turned back up, but it's more of a 
Like, for example, with LeBron in the LeBron lineups, I think he needs to rely on his strength more, his ability to overpower players more than the speed, than the, the, his speed attacks. And whether that's as a cutter, as that, uh, as that off ball guy, or if it's in ball screens with LeBron. And yeah. those were a couple of those clips that I sent you guys, right? It's like Russ is getting downhill. He's going all the way and he's not going to make the shot, but it took three guys with him. And now LeBron's standing underneath the basket with the ball by himself. And like, it's a bad stat in the box score for Russ, but in terms of actual impact, that helps a lot. And so like, talk to me more about that idea of he needs to be this with this lineup and, and that with the other lineup. I just think that when he's on the floor with LeBron and LeBron is the center, I honestly think the Lakers need to go back to having LeBron, more LeBron, Russ, two-man game. Because what the Lakers have been doing is they've been running a lot of inverted ball screens or where a guard is a screener, basically, right? And so they've almost abandoned all of their like ghost screen actions that involve Carmelo Anthony, for example, the only screens that you see now are between a guard and the guy who is the center that's on the court or a guard to guard. And most times it's LeBron as the ball handler and a guard is screening for him or Malik Monk has the ball. And LeBron is screening for him. Or Russell Westbrook has the ball and a guard is screening for him. That's right. The action that I think the Lakers need to get back to is LeBron screening for Russell Westbrook. And them running a bit more like actions to involve Carmelo Anthony in ball screens for like pick and pops. Right. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I really want LeBron to start screening for Russ a little bit more is because that downhill threat is what helps Russ get into the paint. It opens up those windows that we've been talking about all pod, yeah. right? Is it just makes them broader. Well, you've talked about this all all year in terms of the way that teams defend the Lakers, but Yeah, defensive decisions and right? do you go under? Do you yes. do and you so, influence toward a jumper or do you influ- influence toward going to the basket? And so Russ is always going to be influenced to take the jumper. That's right. They're always going to go under the screen on him. The way that you help counteract that is by having the screener do two things. He has to do two things very effectively. He has to actually set a good screen and make contact. Mm -hmm. And then he's got to get downhill. Because when you do both of those things, you take both defenders with you in a way that then gives Russ a little bit more space and time in order to turn the corner and get into an attack position where it's not just, oh, the same wall I saw in front of me before the screen was set is there again, but it's just moved backwards two feet, right? And those are the possessions that lead to Russ shooting a pull-up jumper off, off of the glass. And so... You started your question to me a long time ago about like the aggression dial and the aggression dial does need to go up, but it can't go up just indiscriminately. That's it what needs I'm to saying. Go, mm-hmm. it, it needs to go up with purpose and with play design built into why you're trying to get it to be turned up, right? Because you don't want Russ to be more aggressive against a set defense that is packing the paint against him because y- the results... Of that, that was my are co- going to be poor. 
that was my point the other night with the Memphis stuff is like if his jumper isn't falling, he's not going to score efficiently against a team that's packing the paint. His job in those situations is to get 10, 12, 14 assists because the paint's so packed. His job is to drive right into it, but not turn it over and then kick it out, right? You've, you've collapsed the defense, send the ball back out to the perimeter. But it, it becomes like it becomes a decision on his part of and I actually liked how he approached the Grizzlies game in that respect. And but there's also the flip side of that is and this is something we would talked about on the text today is like we need Russell Westbrook to score. We need somebody yeah. else in this yeah. period right now. And I guess what I'm saying is I don't have expectations of him. Like he needs certain conditions to be able to score. And if they don't exist, one of them is his jump shots working. So like if we're playing Memphis and he's his jumpers hitting and even for bad shooters, you know, two out of five games or so, Russell Westbrook, like his jumper looks good. He's hit, it's it's falling. That's about how it's going to go. But in those other three games, like I'd rather have him not be the scorer. I'd rather look toward Malik Monk. I'd rather look toward when we're healthy, Anthony Davis. And so it's such a strange way of framing a player who makes $44 million, million, which is a way that I think, I think we frame Russ in that context too much. I would love to have a broader asset management and like, what is the opportunity cost of his contract and all of that? That isn't this pod. That's a, that's a different time. But I, I guess my conceptualization of Russell Westbrook within the Lakers offense is that sometimes he's going to be like the fourth option yeah. on the floor on offense. And I'm okay with that, uh, but he has to contribute in, in other areas. This is the tricky part about Russell Westbrook though, Pete, is that those contributions in, in other areas aren't always consistent and they're not always, and even when they do happen, they're not always rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always lead to wins within possessions, right? And so there is this idea of, okay, well, go do some role player things. It's like, okay, great. What are the role player things that Russell Westbrook does when he's at his best? Well, when he's at – so let me shelve that question for a second because okay. to me it's still – but you're Russell Westbrook? Right. And so but, the but Lakers- what does that mean? Like, I guess what I'm saying is that that's cha- what that means that you're Russell Westbrook is that is changing. That is the crossroads that he's at is that as a player like him gets older, if you want to win a title, if you want to go put up numbers, there are plenty of teams in the NBA that that you'll be able to do that. If you want to compete for a championship, he has to embrace that. He right? does. He does. And so. He does a lot of little things that he doesn't always get credited for. He crashes down. He sandwich rebounds. He, I think he's better on defense, like on the ball than what he's given credit for, especially mm-hmm. when, when he's dialed in. He is a calculated risk taker defensively and it pays off. We often highlight the ones that do not pay off. Right. He went for a steal and now and he now, missed it. And now the corner three is wide open. Or yeah. he is paying attention to the ball in a way that became detrimental later on in the possession because now he realizes that Patty Mills is open His, in the corner, right? And he lost but what him. he yeah. was doing really was watching the ball in a very specific way because he's thinking or maybe or I'm putting myself in his mind a little bit because I don't like it when people say, oh, he's clearly thinking this because you never know. Yeah, it's often projection, yes. But – it's sort of just like, okay, I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. There are only 
two or three outcomes from this possession. And one of them is going to be the ball is actually going to reverse. And then I'm actually I've actually been watching for that. And now I'm going to be a disruptor. Instead, the ball skips. It doesn't reverse. And it's just like, oh, dang, I got to get there. And it's too late by then. And he's late. Right. And so we highlight that. But there is there are calculations that are happening every possession. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. The bigger picture for Russ is that he's never going to be perfect, but how, like, they, what's that phrase about, like, perfect being the enemy of... Of good. Of perfect. good. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Right? And so I don't want Russ to try to be perfect. Right? Because, and I think in some ways, the dialing back that we've seen from him has been in pursuit of the correct thing, but not always getting you the correct thing, right? It's like the unintended consequences that happen Mm -hmm. in life when you decide I'm making this, this choice, but then there's all of this fallout from that, that you did not see, see coming. When I was talking in the thread the other day about, you know, the Lakers need him to score. It's because in, in those instances, they did, man, like the game before against the Hawks, Malik Monk had a cannon for his arm, right? He he was Megatron out there. And then Avery Bradley was right there with him. So if Russ is four for 15, who cares, really? In the big picture of that specific game, that did not matter. He also had 13 assists. He was passing to these dudes and helping to create the, the, well, the shots that they were hitting. The next night, though, against the Grizzlies, those guys are playing poorly and so there is a certain amount of okay well who has the ability out here to actually make a few extra plays and score some baskets and if you're telling me russ is no longer that dude okay okay but then in the big picture that's a problem for the lakers on nights like that right Mm -hmm. where they do not have anthony davis where their role players are not producing then it's like okay well lebron can't do it all by himself even though he tried he had 30 something points again and was dominant and the lakers were down by a thousand points there is a is he good enough question then that comes into play and if the answer is Well, we'll see when Anthony Davis gets back and can he navigate this path? That's a lot of uncertainty, I think, that is baked in to a situation where you hope that the Lakers are going to be competing for a championship. I would argue that he's not good enough as an on-ball scorer to score against the best defenses in the NBA. And that's something that we've seen play out over and over again. There's from people that don't particularly like Russ, there's a a sentiment of like, we've seen how this story ends. It goes the same way yeah. every single time. And in this, now what is the story though? I, I I would argue that when you don't have a reliable jump shot, you can't be at the hub of one of the, like you can't be one of the major two guys offensively. And so if we find ourselves in a situation where the pain is packed, Russ's jumper is not falling on a particular night, what is the tool that he can go to against a team that's getting back in transition defense? Like, I don't have the expectation there in the first place to be like, maybe this time he has, because to break down and beat a a high caliber defense, 
you need a certain degree of skill and you need to inspire a certain degree of fear in both your jump shot and your ability to finish at the rim. Not just fear, you have to be able to actually produce at both of those things. And so that's that's LeBron. And the question becomes, where does Russ fall into that? Russ, there are a few players better in the league that I'd rather have attacking an already compromised defense. Like, I don't want him being the person that breaks down the defense. I want him being the guy that gets the ball after the defense is breaking, is, is broken down. The end of the Dallas game where Austin hit that game winner is a perfect example. LeBron gets the ball at half court and he, uh, or not, not at half court. LeBron gets the ball on, in the slot position in the left slot, gets double teamed off of a ball screen and drags the ball screen out toward half court. Passes the ball over to, I think, Wayne Ellington, and then the ball gets swung to Russ in the corner. And the game plan is to, for Dallas and Jason Kidd, right, is to, we're going to leave Russ. We're going to leave him all alone. But by dragging that out, you've got guys scrambling and running at, like, in the general direction. It's a much weaker, more compromised defensive position. And so... That is the time where Russell Westbrook can drive all the way to the basket and get the layup, make that those wonderful skip passes, which he did to Austin for that game-winning three. To me, that is the place where Russell Westbrook really fits in to this team in a half-court sense. And I think that finding his half-court fit is really important on this team. This is why Anthony Davis is super important. Yep. And this is why when Russ was brought in as a third star, the talking points probably should not have been if one of these guys goes down. Exactly this. Exactly this. No, we don't. We have a we superstar, <laughs> right? Because exactly. In, because in the big picture, that's not what Russ is for a championship team. Now, he was that exactly. for Washington, mm-hmm. and Washington was an eighth seed. They were in the play-in game. And they won their play-in game, and they got to the playoffs, and then they were summarily dismissed in the first round by a superior Philadelphia team. And if that's the result you want, then that's the role you put Russell Westbrook into. That's right. Right? But that's not the result the Lakers want. And so framing it within that context was a poor communications plan, I feel like. It, It was bad marketing. Right. Because that's really not what he is at this point in his career. And so I think that that's frustrating within the big picture because there's an acceptance there of, well, the guy who takes up 40 percent of the salary cap isn't really a guy that you could rely on to be a taught to be the true foundational piece in the parlance of another analogy. He is the cane. Right. He's not one of the actual legs. Right. For someone who is walking. Right. Mm -hmm. That's Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And so Russ is there to provide support. That's right. Those two. That's what a third option is. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's not there to replace one of them. And I think. But that's that can be tricky and frustrating in, in the acceptance part of that. That's right. Because I think the Lakers and fans really want him to be more than that. But I'm not sure he can be for a team or should he be for a team that has championship aspirations. I, I call this Schrodinger's Russ. I've in a few conversations I've had with people where the people who can't stand him the most are the ones who are the most frustrated that he's not leading us to victory as one of our two best players. And so like I, to me with Russ, it's a matter of expectations and it's a matter of, but from his perspective, it's a matter of embracing a new yeah. way of being, which doesn't, which isn't a totally different 
way no. of, his, of, of, of he's always been. There's this in possession decisions and in game decisions where it's like the choices, the choices yep. that present themselves, and he needs to make the right choice. And I'm not saying he hasn't been right because the choices have been the circumstances in which he's been asked to play are not the ones that are best for him for a Lakers team that expects to win a championship. They haven't had that team available. That's right. And until they do, we're going to see Russell Westbrook in that inappropriate role, even though it's the role he's always been in as one of the top two guys. This is going to be an ongoing discussion. I really liked getting into this uh, further. We got a game tonight against the Sacramento Kings. We'll be back tomorrow to cover all of that here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! Unbelievable, it's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.